Tape Cards, your ultimate destinations for all things tabletop in Riverton, Utah. Uniting enthusiasts under one roof, we proudly showcase Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Magic, Weiss, and One Piece, a gateway into an exhilarating universe of gaming. Immerse yourselves in our diverse products, including a very squishy array of Japanese plushies and the excitement of Gashapon machines. Our expansive play area invites you to duel in epic battles and forge unbreakable bonds with your fellow players. We open our doors every day at noon, embracing a realm where cards come alive and unforgettable moments are forged. Come join us at Kayfabe Cards. Do you always find yourself gambling on the plays of subpar bronzies? Stop wasting your time in a game where your teammates constantly drag you down. Join us at Rivalry.com, where your victories and losses only reflect your decisions. This is the Instant Speed Podcast episode... One zero five, ladies and gentlemen, and before I even get started, I want to tell you to go vote for the Speedy Awards for 2023, of which, I mean, we did it last year. It was super awesome. LSS is involved. They're giving me some prizes to give out to the people who get voted in. Ultimately, it's the prestige that doesn't exist that you guys can make up in your mind about the Speedy Awards. If you go check out um, the Instant Speed Podcast at Instant Speed Pod on Twitter, there should be a link pinned for voting for that stuff. But beyond that, we got an episode to do. And today's episode welcomes lit here. I'm, I'm gonna I'm just gonna read it verbatim for what I wrote. There's Go no more it. yeah, there's there's no more pomp and circumstance when it comes to these intros. People know who you are. I don't need to pump your tires, okay? But I'll just fine. You can feel free. I figured if anybody's yeah. gonna just give me the green light on this. All right. <laughs> Here it is. Uh, the Instant Speed Podcast welcomes the runner-up of Pro Tour Baltimore. She's an accomplished and renowned artist and has been decreed as the Emperor, uh, the Empress of Volcor by none other than James White. Welcome to the show, the mother of dragons herself, Mara Ferris. Hello, Mara. Hey, Blake. Thanks for having me. Hey, don't worry about it. Um, no. Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, today's gonna be a, a t- it's been a it's been a, a a rocky few days for me. So we're just I'm glad you're here because if there's anybody that doesn't take any BS, and if there's anybody whose confidence can blot out the sun, it would be you. Is it is it confidence or ego? It could be both, frankly. It's, like, it's, is it ego? It's, it's a little of both. Um, there's a uh, there's a there's a joke in in my my local circles that uh people shouldn't uh shouldn't ride in cars with me after a, a large tournament win because my ego has a gravitational field and it could pull other cars into us yeah well i heard i hear rather on the regular the the um the standard amounts of slander that gets tossed your way from logan and charmer at flesh and pod mm-hmm. and i mean i'm no stranger to it as well they like to toss barbs my way now and then well, they... never, i have never heard logan say anything about about uh <laughs> he, on about, occasion. About, about author of the stoics stop it i swear <laughs> to god what's funny about this is that this is this has kind of taken on a life of the of its own where like i was on siblings in cardboard podcast uh last week and they asked me and they asked me about it and it was like do I have to explain this? Um, <laughs> and I, I didn't. And so I did rather, and I will. I won't again. But uh, what's funny about this is that purely by random chance, last night, it's late last night. I'm on the couch. 
I was watching some hockey. And then after that, late in the evening, I watched reruns of Game of Thrones. And it was like a season two episode where Daenerys refers to herself as the mother of dragons. And she's all uppity about it. And she's all arrogant and uh, entitled and stuff. And I was like, what a perfect segue (laughs) into our guest today, Mara Faris. You gotta you gotta have pride in what you do. I think that's important. I think so too. I mean, you have to absolutely have pride in what you do. You need to be confident in your own successes and your progress and things like that. Otherwise, frankly, uh, there's so many people out there in the world who are ready to tear it down. Trust me, I know. I, I get mm-hmm. I get that every now and then in the comments and tweets and this and that. It is what it is. But uh, let's talk first about this really quickly about the. Uh, Bans and suspension announcement, of which you and I have no real stake in it, I suppose. I mean, the announcement was basically, okay, Lexi's gone. She takes with her Voltaire as a consequence in CC. Bullseye Bracers is back and Soul Reaping banned in Blitz. Um, any I, I comments my, on uh, <laughs> My sideboard has a stake in it. I think I just freed up like eight cards out of my sideboard for uh, not having to deal with Lexi anymore. Well, that's okay. So that aside, and that, we're going to get to that right. specifically, like the post-Lexi sure. world. But um, with this, I mean, the reinstatement of Bullseye Bracers and such, mm-hmm. like with Lexi out of the rotation, was there anything that you may have suspected would get a look from a ban or, restri- or like restriction or suspension perspective? Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, I think LSS, LSS pretty, pretty clearly stated uh, in their last BNS that this span and suspended announcement coming so close to Worlds was really just to make sure that we can get Lexi out and, if need be, get Icelander out before Worlds. Um, they they kind of already had said, they're like, unless something is just catastrophically wrong in this meta, we don't really have any plans on doing anything, which was super cool on them, I think, to be able to say, like, we're, we're going to do this so that we can make sure that everybody knows Lexi is gone, but we're not going to, like, go upending this metagame you know, two weeks before before Worlds. Oh, definitely. Which, which I, I, I like that. I think that's that's a really good... I think they, they did that the one time in the Starbo meta where they made a ban announcement, like, right before a major tournament. And uh, and it, I think it upset a lot of people. Um, so I, I'm glad to see the LSS kind of learning from previous mistakes and, uh, and adjusting, and I think that's really good for them. I'm trying to think of what might actually have been in somebody's crosshairs. I mean, there's always the people who are mad at particular cards in their local metas that continuously beat them there's a lot obviously the standard procedure of hating on cards like uh you know warmongers diplomacy and and codex of frailty things like that whatever i like if you if you listened to twitter uh it was tumultai chromai and rake the embers despite the fact that Troma is not even the best deck yet people are already like up in arms over them not banning cards out of Dromai already. Well, what's fascinating about this whole thing, especially from the perspective of a community-based, like, checks and balance system, is that (laughs) Gwent is currently in the the initial phase of their community balance maintenance mode, as it were. Like, they're not putting out Mm -hmm. new content, and what they're saying is that you, the community, will vote on what cards get tweaked be it more power, like bu- like buffs or nerfs to a certain degree, be it from the cost of the card or the power of the card. Like those are the two metrics that they can go up one or down one with. And the first wave of these, which I sat back with popcorn in hand because being so intimately involved in that game, uh, the ins and outs of it for five you know full years, 
I heard about how the community was always the smartest one in the room when it came to balancing things. And now the first balance wave of community stuff came through and nobody's happy because obviously they're not happy. Of course not. They were all emotionally driven. Uh, I hate this class, so I'm going to nerf every card in it. And then that, and like, that was essentially the result of it. And I'm wondering, would you trust the community in flesh and blood to, to, <laughs> to do this? God, no. I love I love our community with all my heart. Uh, our community is not a bunch of game designers, and it shows. And I mean, like, I I don't even think I would trust myself to to you know make those calls. Like, balance is balance is a delicate thing, and it's something that is very easy to just slightly overtune or slightly undertune something and throw an entire system out of whack. So like, you know, I I I as a general rule put a lot of faith in LSS and and believe that like. They're making a lot of thought and a lot of testing and a lot of, of checks before they're making any kind of balance calls. Um, and I don't think anyone in the community has has tested an entire metagame with Lexi without Three Oak or with Dromai without Chromai and Rake the Embers. Like, people are just kind of picking a power card and going, just remove that one and then that'll solve the problem. And I don't think that's how balance actually works. Right, because it's very easy to just point, click, and delete something without actually having to put the work on the back end to figure it yeah. out. And that's, yeah, that's like the the part of it. It's like, we will take your advice when you put in 50 to 100 games with those particular parameters against all yeah. the other classes to see exactly what the issue is. It's not easy and it's not always perfect. And like, I'm not here trying to say that LSS always gets it spot on, but I mean, I think that for this uh, ban and suspension announcement, I think we're, we're fine. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I don't think we've ever had a ban and suspended that I was just like vehemently opposed to like, you know, there's there's always a couple of them like, well, maybe they could have done something different. But again, like I, I'm not the one testing these numbers. So like, well, as a general rule, I feel like once I see a banner restricted, I'm like, yeah, that's actually pretty smart. Like even like stuff like bullseye bracers, I always felt like, you know, like it, it clearly didn't like dramatically drop Lexi's, you know, market share. But I think just having little tweaks like that make a difference. Well, that like the words you used there were me like the i have never been mm -hmm. like that's the thing about it is that because your your deck your your sphere of of passion was not you know disturbed in in any significant way sure. for the most part and i feel i feel you on that because there have been bans and suspension announcements where there have been people in an uproar based on the fact that nothing's changed or too much has changed or this mm -hmm. is gone or that's gone um i think that if we're going to do a retrospective on the impact of the bans and suspensions over every single one that's occurred, I think it's overwhelmingly positive in terms of how they've been approached. So we'll see how this I, one goes. I, yeah. I, I even like looking back at some of the ones that, that the, the community did just cry, just like, this is death to the hero. This is, this is unplayable now. And then those heroes went on to just do like, fine. Like Winter's Whale is the immediate one that comes to mind. When Winter's Whale got banned, everybody on twitter and in most social media was like oldham is dead deck is garbage we can't do anything now and then oldham won a pro tour <laughs> like against who mara ferris I, I i don't know some some, <laughs> some nobody 
well, let's talk a little bit about what you are a little bit. You have a little bit more of a stake in something you are a little mm -hmm. bit more passionate about. This is actually you. I mean, we're, we were going to get to this, but you actually sort of poked the bear on this before I even put it in the show notes, which was, hey, new Living Legend announcement uh, for the system, et cetera, and I've got stuff to say. So I just want to bring people up to speed. Yesterday being uh, November 6th here in North America, there was an article that was released by James White basically saying we've reshaped and reimagined the Living Legend system, and the, T uh, the TLDR of it is basically this. Things are worth more points, um, and the check of a hero's ascension to Living Legend will occur every Monday, every Monday with to be put into effect the the coming Friday, the following Friday of it. So essentially, if something gets their points over a weekend on the Monday, is it a thousand? On Friday, it's banned. That is the sort of the new marching orders. Now, you have hit us with your initial your initial impressions of this change. All right, so uh, yeah, so I, I I'm kind of glad to get a chance to really talk about this because I did uh, I did I did make some some posts on Twitter about my opinions on some of this, and it's very hard to really dive into like nuance on Twitter, like when you're when you're really limited on characters. So, like I think a lot of people kind of misunderstood the the way I feel about things. Um, so as as far as like the actual points updates, I, I think this is fine. Um, I, I do have a very slight concern for the people like me that are really wanting to dedicate to a single hero when we can see heroes, you know, skyrocket from, you know, next to no points to threatening living legend very, very quickly. Um, but overall, I, I do, I really like the living legend system. I think the system is good for the game. I think it is good for the health of the game in the future, you know, and especially, you know, they're, they're talking about releasing 15 new heroes next year. You know, I don't want us to end up in a position where, like, League of Legends is in. Where, like, League of Legends right now, for those of you who, who don't play that game, has something like 170, 200 characters in their roster at this point. <laughs> it's wild. Like, it is impossible, unless you are just, like, super dedicated, to just have any idea what your opponent is doing half the time in, in, in that game. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't want League of Legends, or I don't want uh, Flesh and Blood to, to turn into that. So, like... Having this this system to be able to meter out, you know, okay, we're adding in this many heroes. We want to make sure to rotate out this many heroes so that we can keep kind of a stable roster. I think is a good idea, and I think it's a good. Th I think it's a good thing for the game. Um, I do want to see a quicker turnaround on these like replacement heroes, but I think that's something LSS is aware of, and I think it's something they're working on so that we don't have people like the Prism mains who were sitting, you know, for like a year just waiting on their their replacement hero. Um, and, and I think, I think that's the thing LSS is working on. I have every faith that they are trying to get these, these new kind of replacement heroes out more quickly. And I think that's a big part of this like new 15 hero push. Um, the part that I am concerned with is this, this, we want to have, have the living legend check every week. Um, and I do understand what they're wanting to achieve with this. Uh, you know, when we get into like ProQuest season and things like that, this idea of of fail metas is has been thrown around a lot lately, especially with Lexi, because Lexi was the most dominant deck in the meta for you know what, six six or seven months at least, 
Um, like we we've had two set releases that have come out since Lexi, and neither of them have really felt like they've scratched the meta, you know, much at all. Um, and so I I understand this idea that like they want to be able to when a hero is threatening living legend to just cut that hero out immediately and then go okay cool now we have a fresh meta come come back those of you who were tired of the meta you can come back now and you can come come play again and look how exciting this is going to be um but the problem is with such a short turnaround on 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 banning a hero um one I don't think it's going to have as much impact on attendance for, for these events as they think it's going to, just because, you know, like, progress season is three weeks. Um, if Lexi LLs that first week, then, like, the, the number of people that were just like, oh, I don't want to play in a meta because of Lexi, are now given five days notice to say, oh, I wasn't planning on going to these ProQuests, but now Lexi's gone, you know, now I'm interested in ProQuest, but, like, I wasn't prepared for it. I don't have a deck. I don't, I have to like just throw something together. And like, so you might get a couple of people turn out and just like try something wacky. But like, I think a lot of people are still just going to go, well, that's really cool. I'm glad Lexi's gone, but you know, I wasn't prepared for this. I'm not ready for this. And so I'm probably either still not going to go or I'm just going to kind of do whatever. Um, but then on the other side, now you put, you put people in a position where they're like, oh, Lexi's very close to Living Legend. Man, I really would like to play Lexi for this ProQuest season, but I'm not comfortable putting in reps on Lexi anymore because if my hero LLs in the middle of the season, now I'm just stranded without a deck. So, like, I think you're going to end up with at least as many, if not more, people that either just are going to play their hero until it LLs and then just not show up for the rest of the ProQuest for the rest of the season, or are just not going to play those decks. Um, and, you know, we, we may end up in, in a position where we're just, like, actively disincentivizing people who can't afford multiple decks to just play at all or, right. or to, like, not play the deck that they want to play. You know, like, right. if, if, you're a, if you're a, you know, if you're a Lexi main and you're just like, oh, well, I want to play my hero, but then if she LLs, I'm just screwed for the rest of the season... I guess now I'm just going to have to try to just pick up a different deck so that I'm insulated from that 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 ban. And that's just, that's a feel bad. When you tell somebody, like, hey, we know there's a deck you want to play. The deck is legal, but you don't want to be, like, we don't want you practicing that deck. We don't want you really playing that deck because it might go away and it might get pulled out from under you very quickly. Right. Um, and then I, I think the biggest concern more than anything I have is is the impact on the casual scene. You know, LSS has been very vocal that they want to support the casual scene, that they want to really grow that casual player base. And I think those are the players that are going to suffer the most from this, where you can have a situation where, you know, Timmy, T Timmy Bravo main, you know, goes to his Saturday armory, plays his armory, goes home, doesn't check flesh and blood Twitter, doesn't check, you know, isn't real up on on flesh and blood social media just likes to kind of play at his armory and that's it and then you know like bravo suddenly wins worlds gains 300 ll points and then timmy is going to show up at his armory the next saturday and have to be told sorry timmy you can't play that deck anymore you know you can't even play today like there's no lead time there's no like 
you know, that that's already kind of a thing in the LL system, but at least right now it's it's hey Timmy, you're hero LL'd. You've got a couple of weeks to try to find a new hero. Let's let's start figuring out what you want to play. But under the new system, he's gonna show up at Armory and just be like, Oh, I just don't get to play today. I'm just done. And, you know, I, I have a very real concern that that's going to turn a lot of casual players away from the game to to know that their hero can just disappear out from under them in less than a week span. And that that concerns me. So, OK, that, let's I, I got to rewind here. So the first thing sure. that I want to. Sorry, mention, that was that was a, a lot of. No, of it's stuff I want to kind of. But it's good. It's good insight. Mm-hmm. Um, the what's fascinating about the living legend system is that there's a lot of people who critique it. But when. A little while ago, when I was doing like press release and media relations stuff for LSFs for a brief time, I was trying my best to put Flesh and Blood on the radar of some of the bigger media outlets like IGN and all these other places, like Polygon. What sold a lot of them when I would interact with them was I would explain to them the Living Legend system. Which to them was probably like to them it's like it's another card game, it's gonna come, it's gonna go. I don't know if we should devote any of our attention to it. But when I would explain to them the Living Legend system, they would be they would perk up because they'd be like, no standard rotation, no standard mm-hmm. rotation. There's a whole different sort of balance system. It's called Living Legend, blah blah blah. And that's what actually hooked them into actually giving it a look, and then pumping out a little bit more attention on Flesh and Blood. I'm not saying that I'm responsible for that. I'm merely saying that Living Legends system is a point of intrigue and um, and and praise from a lot of gaming veterans. Mm-hmm. That that and, and I agree with that too. Like absolutely. Sure. I think the Living System is great. I think it's a good I think it's a good system as well. Um, the the whole thing about a stale meta, I don't buy that at all. I do not buy that. Maybe it's stale in your smaller region, but the thing about it is that overall, yes, Lexi was a very predominant deck, but there was always a predominant deck. Therefore, there was always a stale meta. If your definition of a stale meta is a hero that has a 20% share to 20 to 25% share of the the total meta. And yes, she was winning a lot but the best decks will win a lot so to say a meta is stale when top eights are very different from region to region to region i think you have to understand that local metas will always be the same because players like you alluded to afterwards usually dig into one or two heroes and go hard on them therefore they're like that won't change and mm-hmm. you know we're never going to see another Lexi again. We're never going to see something on those power levels for a while is what I'm thinking because they're actively throttling back the power levels. Mm-hmm. So once she's gone and like Iceland, like we're, we're back to the, you know, almost pre tales of Aria, but it's actually post tales of Aria where we're not going to see those types of, of big things. And what, what I want to ask you about is I get the concern about players waking up one morning and, suddenly their deck isn't good enough but you make it sound like they went from zero to a thousand overnight like there is there's got to be to a degree even for casual players to have some kind of awareness to the fact that their hero is being threatened to a degree because lexi didn't become living legend overnight we've been talking about lexi since outsiders we've been talking about lexi for eight months now or so Mm -hmm. So that isn't a complete 
180 uh, in terms of like, you know, uh, that kind of whiplash type reaction. I'm very sympathetic to those players because I've seen it before. Players who, once their hero's gone, they just don't care anymore. That is a concern. But I mean, like I, I, I get it wherein a player might not realize and they'll show up to an armory or that like mid-season ascension like it's going to be fairly rare it's going to happen it's going to happen but i think the players who really are are going to care a lot about it are already paying attention to that potential and it's still going to suck don't get me wrong it's still going to suck like you said for timmy bravo face who just shows up and suddenly his favorite hero is garbage and can't even be played but to talk about casual players and how this isn't going to affect them i don't think casual players are going to care because a lot of casual players are just going to play the heroes against the their friends anyways and not care about those kinds of living legend ascension and legality it's when you go to something like a cc armory where that's no longer the case and yes that's where i do have a little like uh, you know i do have some some th sympathy there yeah, and like I said, I think that that's when I when I say casual player, I am talking about like just the, the the local army players. Like, sure, if we're like kitchen table players are going to do what kitchen table players are going to do, and this this doesn't really affect them at all. So like that's fine. Um, but you know, I do like our our local meta has a lot of players that are just very casual armory players that they show up to our armories regularly every week, but they're not actively like engaged with the game on social media. They're not really actively following the pro scene. They just really like to show up and and play with all their friends, which is what we do at our armories um and and uh, as to the 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 point of like this being a, a not a surprise if if we had made this announcement you know a, a while ago i might have agreed with this more but like we just saw dromai gain almost 200 points in two days she gained 350 points in three weeks Dromai literally went from a deck that I was very actively recommending to new players because she was sitting at like 180 points to now she has over 500 points and is threatening LL soon. Like if if Dromai and like Worlds is 300 points now, that is a humongous jump. You know, if Dromai wins Worlds, Dromai is now sitting at, you know, between eight and 900 points and is dancing the cusp of of being gone in less than going from you know 200 points to nearly gone in less than a month span um and that's the kind of of whiplash that that i think isn't great um you know and like i say if if they sort all this stuff out and if they kind of make sure that we aren't seeing these huge spikes um then i think i'm a little bit more okay with this because then then i, I think that argument has has some 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 credence in that like yeah you can have a hero ll in less than a week but you'll see it coming like i didn't see this coming with dromai and i am i have more of a finger on, on the pulse of dromai than sure. i think almost anybody in the world and this this like meteoric rise shocked me like i have had to come to terms with the fact that dromai is probably going to living legend soon kind of out of nowhere and I'm watching this closely. I am confident that there are a lot of players that, you know, play casually that probably picked up Dromai going, oh, she's a 200, a 200 point hero. I've got plenty of time. And now suddenly they don't. And I think that's going to cause some issue. And I'm worried about that. Sure. Um, the other thing is, is that Dromai has been out for 
a year and like three months, right? Or a year mm-hmm. and four months. And so pe- players have had their time. And like, I get it about the spikes. It's like, damn, they just got 300 points this season. Like, you know, Katsu got 300 points in a season once and he's nowhere mm-hmm. close. And like, he's been stagnant at that rate. There's an opportunity here where Jerome might pick up another couple hundred points and hover mm-hmm. at that 800 range. And then never really advance beyond that. And like, I, I get it. It's like Viserai at a point had a great run and then hasn't done anything in a long mm-hmm. time. Um, and again, yeah, I am like five, five the same way. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, no, it's exactly, 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 exactly. And um, I think that when we're talking extremes here, there's the extreme of Starvo, which had a chance to living legend within three months. Like it was mm-hmm. a couple points shy. It took a six month span to do it. But that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum are kind of like this more slow burn heroes like the Bravos and like the OGs who are kind of just slowly trudging along. Uh, They had their initial time in the sun when the options were rather limited. And now power creep kind of pushed them aside. But now we're just throttling back. So I'm wondering for Dromai, even if Dromai does it, even if Dromai wins Worlds and sits at like 850 or wherever she'll be at that point, new heroes are coming that are not necessarily the best for Dromai. Like it's another mm-hmm. big attack popper kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not saying I don't know what's coming out in heavy hitters, but I think that it's going to be more difficult. And then, like we said, all eyes will still be on Dromai, much like all eyes were on Lexi, like all eyes were on Briar, like all eyes were on Prism, etc. Like there's there are people out there just waiting one way or another. I think that there is a opportunity here to have those shakeups happen sooner. And I'll and I'll give you a personal example here because when Lexi ascended the first thing I did was built a post-Lexi Bravo list that I really wanted to play. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't need to worry about Lexi matchups anymore. I can focus on so many others, and that changes the dynamic of the list I'm, uh, lists I'm going to make. And the crappy part about it was that I couldn't even bring that list to PQ season because PQ season had Lexi's live. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a matter of like, oh, damn it. It was more of a matter of like, well, I just... I have to wait to try this new stuff. And that kind of can feel tough as well. So all in all, I mean, I like the accelerated pace. And uh, mm-hmm. I think to me, the bigger threat to this, and I want to get your opinion on this, is the the point increase is more of a threat to to this than anything else. Yeah, the, the point increase I'm kind of back and forth on. Um, like I said, they're... They're talking about introducing so many new heroes. I understand what they're they're trying to do in that, like they they want to make sure, like like I said, they don't they don't want us to be in a position where we have 150 heroes in our game, you know. So like making sure that we can kind of keep a pace to where we are rotating out as many heroes as we're bringing back in, um, I think has some merit. Um, I I do worry a little bit just because Flesh and Blood is a game has really kind of defined itself on these these this ability to really associate yourself with a single hero. And I think that's very cool. I think it's something you just don't see in a lot of other card games. Um, and I want to encourage that more, not less. Um, and the the increase in points makes that a little bit harder. It makes me feel a little less safe committing to a single hero. Um, but again, like I say, if if they're making sure... like I, I think that is the thing that Alice is very aware of already. So I... 
can kind of hope that they're making sure to give more backup options to the heroes that that may be threatening living legend so that they can have something either immediately or very soon after after a hero rotates to kind of move into that still feels like home um i and so that, that's that's like it's concerning but it's something that i can see lss at least being aware of i can see like the point increase to me is coupled with the fact that there's more heroes coming out next year. These are all draft. Mm-hmm. It's a draft, all draftable sets next year, mm-hmm. whether it's three or four, I'm guessing it's four and the 15 heroes. I don't even know if the heroes that are coming, like you might get, I don't know. I honestly, I have no clue, but what they said in that article was 15 plus new playable heroes, whether that's blitz or not, who knows? My suspicion was that we were getting something like three new heroes, like adult heroes in each draftable set. Mm-hmm. And then I'm get, like, maybe the, they, some of them have a younger version. I don't know, man. Like it's, um, I'm assuming there's at least like one new, like supplemental set. Like we saw the, uh, the, the professor box where like, Oh yeah. Three new heroes in that yes. box. And so there's... like, I'm, I'm kind of assuming it's going to be like roughly like three to four, like three, three, three heroes per new actual set. And then like a supplemental set or two that has some extra side heroes. It's sort of what I'm expecting. I I can't imagine them doing three sets with five new heroes in them each. That that seems a little intense. Uh, yeah, that that might be a little bit much. Um, there's also a question come coming in from Virab Virabhadra. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but uh, based on your response to the new Living Legend system, do you think that LSS is actively trying to rotate heroes? Um, I'm going to just briefly answer this quickly and say, uh, yeah, of course. Like they're yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's much of a question of that. I think I think they've pretty much already stated as much that, you know, there are there are some of the heroes that they definitely kind of want to push out. Like, you know, they've they've got an, a new design philosophy, I think, you know, with with uh Brian Gottlieb kind of kind of more at the helm now and uh and in the way they're they're kind of rebalancing something that I think it's pretty obvious that they've said, you know, hey, there's some heroes that we're we want we don't want to have to balance around these heroes anymore you know so like we kind of want to just like give these heroes their moment in the sun let them do their thing and then send them off into the sunset so that we can kind of pick back up with this new stuff you know i i, I think it's it, it was pretty obvious the moment the moment i got so like tome of imperial flame was my spoiler card and that was very obvious to me the second i got sent that card i was like oh they want to ll draw my okay <laughs> i see how this is going like, yeah uh, that, that was a very clear, here's your moment in the sun, go have fun with this, then we're going to just get Dromai out and work on a post-Dromai world. Well, they've had opportunities now, you know, over the course of a, you know, two plus three years or so of the Living Legend system to see how long with the point system that exists, how long it takes for these heroes to actually go over the top. And I think that there's there's a lifespan for some of them that they're just thinking it's like, damn, I'm like, we wanted this to already be gone and it's not gone yet. So maybe we just dial the knob up a little bit and throttle up here so that when something does win, um, you know, there's more options because, but the thing about it is also like we're it's, it's the illusion of choice with the amount of, of heroes that are available now, because in reality, there are some that aren't represented in big tournaments at all. There are some that are maybe one or two, and then it's usually this pocket of 
you know, 10 heroes that have the most amount of representation. And for the record, for those of you who aren't like super big into card games, and this might be one of your first forays into competitive card gaming, uh, 10 options is a wild bountiful amount of options. Even if your options are like, like mid tier two kind of stuff and not tier one or zero, like the fact that you can bring, any of 10 possible decks and top eight a tournament is is wild Mm -hmm. yeah no it's it's actually i I think one of one of my favorite things about about this game is that there is there's so much diversity and this game rewards so much even just like playing some of these kind of wild cards like decks in this game have such dramatically different game plans you can actually get a lot of percentage points by just like playing a thing that your opponent has no idea what you're doing and I think that's something that you see very, very little of in games like Magic. Like, you know, every, every deck, you know, kind of has different tools and different, you know, strategies. But, like, their game plan feels very fundamentally the same. And in Flesh and Blood, I, I think that there's so much variance and so much, like, I have to really know what my opponent is trying to do and how I need to react to counter that is so important that, like, you could just get like I mean I did it a bunch with Droma. I I, I herald a lot of my Pro Tour success to the fact that I played an aggressive Dromai deck and a bunch of my opponents sat down and just had no idea what they were doing, um, you know, because they had tested against a bunch of these big slow control Dromai decks, and they sideboard into that and they have a game plan for that and they just start you know playing like we're gonna play a long slow game and then I just go rabble blaze blaze breaking point, <laughs> and they're just like. I don't know what to do anymore. It feels good. Uh, mm-hmm. We did run a poll here that I'm, I guess might be a um, ongoing feature here for the show. Works well for Wampa Radio, so we're doing it at instant speed. <laughs> um, the instant speed poll was, do you like the changes to the Living Legend system? Uh, 243 votes. A resounding yes. 49.4% say yes, they like it. 27.6% say no. The remainder are indifferent. I was basically indifferent to it mm-hmm. um mainly because i don't not that i don't care it's just at the same time whether something ascends or doesn't i've lived in enough metas and card games where i've seen the same thing stagnate for years not just months mm-hmm. so like i'm i'm fine with it if things want to change quickly or they want to stay at the same pace i'm indifferent but you saying you you like the changes overall or uh, I, I i think it's it's a hashtag it's complicated um i i think the the actual points increase has a lot of pros and a lot of cons and that one i kind of feel like i don't want to make a judgment on until i see the rest of lss's plan um you know like if we're gonna rotate on a bunch of heroes and not give people kind of those new outlets i think that's a problem but i think like i say i think that's something that lss is very aware of and i have every faith that they are working on that and i think that's going to be a big part of why we're going to see 15 new heroes this year is to say like all right let's go ahead and already let's let's queue up that new dromai let's queue up that new icelander let's queue up that new lexi let's queue up the new you know bravo maybe because you know bravo is starting to starting to get a little up there let's just go ahead and have that new bravo ready um and i think that'll probably be a big part of why we're seeing so many new heroes this year and i think that goes a long way to making me feel better about these quicker rotations so um the like I say the only one like we, we've kind of talked about at, you know ad nauseum already but the the five day window for rotation is still the thing that like 
I I want to have faith that that LSS knows what they're doing, and I know that they have. This is not a decision that they have made very quickly and without a lot of thought. And so, like, hopefully, they know more about this than I do, and that they've checked all these metrics, and that they feel like this is the best thing for the game. And like, I'm here for it. I I think it will create some very interesting ProQuest metas, and it'll make some very exciting last minute shakeups. You know, I just hope that they have considered that there are negatives to this too and i think there are people that will be impacted negatively by it and i just hope the pros outweigh the cons so let's talk about dromai uh the deck that you're obviously most known for that you've innovated that you've uh put on the map and legitimized to a, a great degree here dromai has an incredible representation at major tournaments a very good conversion rate a very good presence in top eight and win rate as well so dromai with does, does she have a good win rate? <laughs> well, I mean, she has a good win rate in the sense that a lot of good players are playing her, winning and going, you know, going high up on the in the Swiss rounds to the top eights. Like it's a, it's a, she is definitely winning. Like let's be completely yeah. honest here. There are I mean, going right, to be right now. Well, sure, but there are always, there's always going to be the experience for the player who just picks up a list and net decks it off the internet and brings it to a tournament, not knowing <laughs> at all how to play it. Like Flesh and Blood is not a very paint by numbers type of game for the most part mm -hmm. there are heroes that kind of feels like that to a degree like you know viscerai non-attack attack rosetta thorn like that just continue and rinse and repeat and do that but there there dromai doesn't always feel like that it feels more of a little complex hero but now that lexi's gone do you consider dromai to be the best deck in the format right now i don't know um, I think Dromai is very looks very good. Um, Dromai as a hero has always been one that I've had a hard time putting on tier lists. Um, like I, I've talked about this with a lot of other people too, where you know everyone wants to say like, oh well, Dromai is the best deck, or Dromai is the second best deck, or or whatever. But Dromai as a hero, I think, has such a demanding skill curve that pilot. Like, who pilots that deck matters so much more to Dromai than I feel like almost any other hero in the game. Um, I think there are a couple others that really kind of fall into that same category, too. But but Dromai in particular, you know, I, I think if we're saying, you know, Dromai in the hands of just, like, anyone off the street, is, is this the best deck? No, absolutely not. You know, if, if, we're, if we're just saying, hey, what is the best deck to just pick up and learn in two weeks and take to my my local ProQuest or my local, you know, whatever. Dromai's absolutely not the best deck. Like Dromai if like that that kind of player is just probably not going to do particularly well in Dromai. If we're saying what is the best deck to take to a Pro Tour in the hands of a player with, you know, ten thousand reps on the deck, I think Dromai looks very well positioned right now. Um but uh it's it's, it's like I say it's I, I think comfort on the deck is is gonna be a big thing. And I do think we're going to see a lot of people, like, I think we saw this in Melbourne. A lot of people picked up Dromai very short. Like, I think people saw the, the Dallas results and went, man, Dromai's the best deck in the meta right now. I'm going to pick up Dromai and got crushed. Right. You know, we saw we saw Dromai with a very high representation at day one and a abysmal conversion rate to day two um, because of exactly that, where, like, Dromai as a hero is very well positioned but it's a hero that you have to know your game plan and your game plan into different decks is dramatically different. I, I do want to make a distinction because you mentioned, you know, if somebody picks it up and brings it to, uh, you know, it's not the right, it's not, it's not the best deck. I think the proper term is not the best fit. 
I think it's still the best. Sure. I, like you have to, we're, we're looking at this through a lens of if all things equal and all the players being equally practiced on all decks, the mm. player, I think that has the same level of practice and understanding of a Dromai deck is probably one of the best poised to win a tournament. Like if, if all players have the same amount of reps on their decks against all the other decks, all things equal in that regard, Dromai has to be one of a small pool of heroes that can likely win this tournament. And I'm saying that, I'm saying that, I'm saying Fi is well positioned. Um, I don't know, is Icelander a g good right now? I'm like, it's, it's a, it's, it, yeah. Th this bet is very kind of wide open right now. I, I think that's actually one of the things that excites me going into Worlds is, you know, after Dallas, there was a lot of talk of, of oh well it's it's just going to be a drill my field it's going to be everyone's picking up drill my it's it's drill my all the way up but you know then we immediately went from that into melbourne and we see the exact opposite we see a very wide field full of a lot of rogue decks that people were not expecting you know we saw both a max deck and a dash io deck in the top eight of melbourne that people did not have on their radar at all um particularly the the dash io like 14 and 0 going into the finals is wild for a deck that nobody even thought was playable um you know i i think now going into worlds there's gonna be it's it's gonna be the wild west and i'm kind of excited for it um you know like I say i think i think dromai is well positioned but then i also think dromai also has a big target on her back and dromai is a deck that is i don't want to say easy to hate out but very obvious in some of the ways to attack that deck you know like you're gonna see just average popper counts index go up and that does affect dromai's dromai's you know market share essentially um but like i think i think bravo looks very good i think azalea looks good you know fi and katsu are are there i think you know we're you know og dash looks really good bravo or um uh, new dash i think is very interesting and now we've got people really working on that um it, it it's wild i think going into this meta i think dromai is the the deck to beat i don't think dromai is the best deck in the field um i don't i genuinely don't know what the best deck in the field is i think this is gonna be a lot of testing and a lot of players trying to just figure out what works best so let me ask you this then um what are what is Dromai's what are Dromai's sort of best matchups and worst matchups? And you don't have to go into too much detail if you don't want mm -hmm. to, but ultimately people are gonna look at this and there's always debate about it. Um oh, it's like who's favored Dromai or Guardian or who's favored Dromai or Brute or this or that. So in your expertise, in your infinite but actually finite wisdom when it comes to Dromai. What, no, it's infinite. It's infinite. It's what, what are, uh, what are Dromai's best matchups and worst matchups? See, th this actually kind of comes back to this this player skill discussion, where I I think one of the things that I really like about Dromai is that I think a lot of her matchups are player dependent. I think Dromai gives the the pilot a lot of skill expression. Um, which makes a lot of matchups 
very hard for me to say this matchup is favored or this matchup is unfavored. You know, it's it's why we we have these kind of jokes about like the these 80-80 matchups with with Dromai and, and Bravo or Dromai and Brute and Dromai and like, you know, I can talk to a bunch of Dromai players and say, what are your best matchups? And they can give me a list. And then I can talk to a bunch of players who play those decks and say, give me a list of your best matchups and they will put Dromai on that list. Um, you know, like uh you see like the the dromai azalea one i think has been one a very like hot debate lately where i feel very confident to the azalea matchup but then like i know a bunch of azalea players that feel very confident in the dromai matchup um same thing with bravo i i am currently sitting at i think nine and one or ten and two or something around there in ranked games against bravos between like Battle Hardened in Atlanta, and now I feel very confident in the Bravo matchup. But I've talked to a bunch of people that are like, "Yeah, we're expecting a lot of Bravo or a lot of Dromai at, at Worlds. We're all going to play Bravo to target that." Um, so it's interesting. It's actually kind of hard to really say like what are her favorite matches. I think the the thing that really appeals to me about Dromai is that skill expression plays such a large role in determining what is favored and what is not for her. Um, but that said. Ninja is always a little scary. <laughs> okay, like uh, yeah. uh, th- that's what I like. Yeah. I get it, and you want to give credence to the player yeah. playing the deck. But again, all things equal here. Yeah, there, like, on paper, just... there's gonna be some mismatches, and I want to know what those are. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, I I think it's hard. Like, I don't like I the the obvious I'm... mismatch here is it's it's like okay, well, it's gonna be like Michael Fang versus the guy at the bus stop that doesn't know the sure. game. Yeah, like it. Oh it doesn't come down to what decks they're playing. It comes down to the player. <laughs> but if it's, you know, if it's Michael Fang versus you, let's say at that final table, that's, that's yeah. a, a matchup where both players are at their peak. And there's gotta be an advantage that does come down to deck selection after a while. Like, um, I, I do think Fi is, is one of the matchups for sure that like we, can can have some struggles into i think it's probably one of the the harder matchups um bravo is an interesting one like bravo is a matchup that i feel like i can never feel comfortable in um i am hesitant to say bravo is unfavored and because i don't i don't actually think i feel unfavored into it but i think they're the matchups there are matchups that i think i feel like i have to work harder at and I think Bravo is probably one of those. Uh, I think Fi is one of those. Um, Katsu is one of those. Um, and then like the matchups where I feel like I have, I have less stress um, are the matchups where I can kind of execute my game plan a little bit more cleanly without having to worry about, um, about weird, you know, niche more more niche interactions. Um, like I kind of feel like Azalea is a matchup where I can kind of just execute my game plan just here are my dragons it is on you to deal with this um same thing kind of with icelander where i think there's there's a lot of challenge in that for the draw my player but at the same time they're very much matchups where i can go here's my board you figure out how to solve this problem um and those are the matchups i think where i feel the most comfortable in most of the time right putting a lot of the decision making process to the opponent and then, mm-hmm. yeah, and like I like that too because oftentimes, if it's it's the same thing like playing 
playing control, a lot of the decision-making is going to be on me as a control player, how to block, when to trade, trade damage, things like that. And I trust my own prep and I trust my own things. On your side, it's kind of like, I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to trust that you're going to make mistakes. And mm -hmm. I'm going to trust that you're not going to optimally deal with what I'm presenting. And then I'm going to accumulate and accrue all of these percentage points of advantage over time that eventually lead to a victory against a good player though they're going to oftentimes just answer the bell in the best way possible you're going to mm -hmm. say here's what i got and they're going to be i don't care i know how to deal with this and yeah I, yeah and like that was that was the the thing when i was playing oldham into those those games it's like i know your game plan and i can identify when you are not you are not attacking me or approaching this matchup the way that is most threatening to me like mm -hmm. i went on this wild streak of never losing to dromize until i lost to dm armada like early in a morning one time because he took that proper line which was you know attack my arcane attack my arcane uh, my arcane barrier bring back tumult like just take out my equipment mm -hmm. and then burn me down with arcane when i couldn't do anything yeah. for it. like that's just that's just the approach the thing about it now is that Dromai originally was this big dragon kind of thing. You get the cool toys, you want to play with them, and then it evolved into like a red line aggro, and there's various different ways to play it. Can you tell us what the predominant archetypes of Dromai are currently? Nope. Because <laughs> honestly, I have no idea. Uh, like, I, I kind of alluded to this a little earlier in the, in the show, uh, Tome does some wacky things to draw my, um, Tome fundamentally wants to change the way draw is played. Um, and I think there's still no consensus on exactly how to incorporate that. So Tome wants you to do two things. And those two things are kind of diametrically opposed to one another. Tome wants you to play these big, powerful cards like, you know, Tomaltai and Dominia and even like Venserica and Necria, these like big, expensive, powerful cards to really maximize the, 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 the potential of this card. Because the, the ceiling on Tome is wild. The ceiling on Tome is incredible. Um, I have had turns where I can go Uvia into Tomaltai on a single turn because of Tome, which is seven resources in a red line deck. Crazy things. Um, but the other kind of side of that coin is Tome also wants you to play red line. Um, drawing blues on a Tome turn feels miserable because you can't pitch blues to the Tome. Um, you know, there there's also even the, the, the small chance that you play a Tome on a small hand size and then just like, draw two blues and now you have to just banish your hand and you probably just lost the game on the spot so like that's really scary um so you're asking players to play a deck that wants more expensive cards and fewer resources to cast those cards with um and i think we're seeing a lot of draw my players trying to figure out how to kind of merge those two things together and it's hard it's very hard you know i mean like if you look at the, the results from dallas we saw four draw my decks in the top eight and all of them were very fundamentally different all of them approached uh the tome problem in very different ways you know we saw some of them running 
few few to no big expensive cards and not maximizing the value of tome um and just kind of playing it at a, a more reduced value but playing more consistently we saw some going really hard on trying to maximize the value of tome but introducing some inconsistency in their deck you know we saw one of our decks that just didn't even play tome at all that was just like you know what i don't know how to make this card work in my framework i'm just not even going to play it um and so I don't know, like I've I've been brewing on this pretty hard and I've got a couple of lists that I'm reasonably happy with. But even my list right now, I'm still I don't think I've found that real sweet spot where I feel like I am balancing both maximizing tome value and still maintaining that really firm consistency that has always been draw my strength. All right. So we've got some questions from people concerning draw First one is from uh, Pat Smashgood, good friend, good friend yeah. Pat off the rails. Go check it out. I love Pat. I did a uh, I did a big long draw my deck deck with him uh, a couple of months back. Sweet, sweet Pat. Good people. Let's see. Uh, Pat asking, can she dive into how a card like Tome of Imperial Flame shows up and changes the draw my landscape? What shifts are made within the deck that moved it from an outlier? in top tables to the most represented in such a short time? Uh, so I, I think we pretty much just kind of covered a lot of that. Um, you know, I, yeah. I think it, it, the card is definitely unquestionably powerful. Um, it puts Dromai in a position where she now, like, so like Dromai's biggest drawback prior to this was that she's incentivized to play all these reds to play, you know, cause like, Pitching reds is inherently an inefficient thing. Like, it's just, there's a reason that no deck other than Dromai just is excited to pitch a bunch of reds. Um, it's inherently inefficient. So, Dromai's big thing was to find a way to pitch reds and make efficient plays out of it. Um, and that's always been a very delicate balance for her. Uh, now, Tome of Imperial Flame not only is effectively a blue pitch on its own like it just can like make three resources between tome and activating flame skill furnace just makes three resources in addition to the potential of making more resources with by pitching other cards and then activating tome or activating uh furnace um it is a massive amount of resources for a deck that's that's very constricted on resources normally um and in addition providing a large amount of her other resource which is ash um so Tome basically lets Dromai, this deck that's really built around these very tight, very normally inefficient plays, ignore that entire restriction for a turn. She now has a surplus of Ash, a surplus of resources, and Tome says, go nuts. Um, and that's wild. Um, I do kind of think, though, that, you know, he's asking about is, you know, what is it that Tome just sort of catapulted Dromai into the spotlight? Um, I do think Tome is very powerful, and I think Tome absolutely impacted Dromai's, uh, you know, win percentages. Um, but I've been a big advocate for Dromai for a long time, and particularly these these red line Dromai lists that a lot of people have been very, you know, historically very hesitant to pick up. A lot of the other big, well known Dromai players have been very kind of opposed to playing red line because they value that that more big dragon approach. And I think we saw a lot of players go, okay, I'm going to try this red line thing out now because of Tome, and then just realize the fundamental power that I've been preaching for months. 
um you know that that deck even without tome is a very powerful thing and does a very powerful thing um and i think tome both helped just make the deck more powerful but also just make people actually try the deck and go oh crap maybe we were wrong about this from the beginning maybe this really has just been a powerful deck the whole time Next one is from our friend Crow. Not really a question, just want to thank you for taking about 20 minutes to go over every choice you made for your deck at Proto Baltimore. You were a joy to talk to and showed a lot of patience and passion while talking to me and my friend who never played Illusionist before. Well, there you go. See? Dude, I, I love our community. I think we... Flesh and Blood has... You know, hot take. I think Flesh and Blood has the best community of any TCG I've ever played in my life, and I've played a lot of TCGs. Um... And yeah, like when I first started out, I got a lot of help from a lot of players and a lot of, you know, podcasters and all things like, you know, I think you and I have talked about this before. Like when I first very first started off in, in flesh and blood and started just doing just art and alters, you know, like you were one of the first people that was like, hey, this is a really cool thing you're doing. Let me promote this. Let me let me get some work done and show it to all my 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 followers and all my fans. I, I want to support you. I want to. I want to really put your work out in front of a lot of people. And that meant a lot to me, you know, and, and I really do. I appreciate that. And so it's kind of been a big thing for me that when I first started, I had a lot of help from our community. I had a lot of people both teaching me the game and really wanting to promote my work. And so I've always tried to make an effort to pay that forward. Um, you know, if, if anyone out there ever just wants to just chat Dromai or just wants to come say hi, please come approach me in an event come say hey and i will sit down and chat and and talk dromai for hours i love it it's my favorite topic and i'm so happy that i'm in a position where i can you know pay some of this forward i can i can support more new creators and i can you know help more younger players get access to some of these you know professional testing tools and I, I love it it makes me happy and i just want to see this game grow and flourish and anything i can do to make that better for everybody, that means a lot to me. Uh, next one from Sigma or Das asking, what Spanish food dishes uh, are you eyeing in Barcelona? And why should they be spicy? First of all, they should be spicy because live a little, you punks, okay? <laughs> uh, eat spicy foods. It's the best. Yeah, so I, I am very excited. Um, uh, I, I'm a little, like, tense because uh, I'm vegetarian, and... Uh, I don't know what the vegetarian options are going to be in Barcelona. Um, the menus not doesn't have meat in it. That that is true. I could eat the menu. You um, could eat the menu. Menus menus not historically terribly spicy, um, which is unfortunate. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I am uh, I am pretty well renowned for my love of spicy food. Uh, I literally have a uh, here. Hang on. Oh, okay. I got it right here. This is like my trophy. What are you digging out of there? Blazing... Oh, you have to... Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> is there this? is there any more uh, American arena of dominance than eating wings uh, in copious amounts at a Buffalo Wild Wings? So this... This is my, my, my memento. This was uh, PT1. Uh, I didn't play in the Pro Tour. Um, I'd only been playing the game for uh, maybe a month or two at that point. Um... I didn't play in the Pro Tour, but I did go to the Calling, and I day two that Calling, and it was my first time ever day twoing a major event, and so like me and, and a bunch of people all went out to celebrate, and uh, 
so yeah they had that that the, their blaze their like super spicy hot wing challenge um which i uh i didn't even actually get to do the actual challenge because i'm vegetarian and uh they they were like yeah it has to be with the wings i'm like you guys have cauliflower wings can i just do it with that they're like no according to the rules you can't and i was like all right fine i just want the cauliflower wings with the blazing sauce and a side of mango habanero extra (laughs) (laughs) and and so i just sat there just eating this just nuclear hot stuff and the waitress like is that not hot? And I was like, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just staring, watching me just like have these like extra hot wings and then like dipping them in extra hot sauce. And she just goes, I'm going to go get you the headband. Yeah. Well, that, that, so that was, so that, for those who are, are listening to this on an audio, she, she showed us a headband oh. branded with Buffalo wild wings on it. Like, like she got it at a dojo somewhere. <laughs> Like, um, so you are officially a black belt at eating spicy, spicy yeah. sauce. But so uh, my, I love spicy as well. Uh, I once went to a um, chicken wing spot uh, outside of Toronto somewhere where the hottest ones they had, I ordered them to go and they made me sign a medical waiver. Like <laughs> they're like, you have to, you can't sue us if you die or whatever. Like we have trained medical staff here but if you take them to go, you got to sign all the shit. And I was like, okay. I took them. It was me and my buddy. And we were uh, we were going to go to a concert that night. And then the next day, we were going to go um, kick it at my buddy's cottage somewhere for a few days. So we ate one each of the eight wings. And they were unreal like it was unholy levels of spice and for and i can handle spice like nobody's mm-hmm. business it's not an issue this was just like another level like it was unreal i had my head under the sink pouring cold water <laughs> i was like rinsing my mouth out with like milk and stuff like it was just the worst experience but we took those wings the next day to my buddy's cottage where I know everybody was going to be drunk out of their minds and no one has any respect for other people's food. So I just put them in a container and left them in the fridge. And I'm like, let's wait. And lo and behold, at like two in the morning, (laughs) we're all like beyond drunk sitting by a campfire. And one of my friends comes like leaping out of the, the cottage, screaming, like swearing, cursing, looking for like beverage, and we were all laughing because I told them what happened. And so we all hid the beers from him. And then he jumped in the lake, like, mouth first. <laughs> yeah. But that's not pleasant, Beautiful. right? Like, I like spice with flavor and whatever. That was just... Yeah. And don't get me started about the repercussions of the next day. Like, I don't even want to get go on that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, next question. Wait, I, am, I am... I just... Just to answer the question I, I am very looking forward to to some some uh, some spanish cuisine and uh some very spicy spanish cuisine sounds amazing and I'm, I'm i'm pretty excited for it i want to have a beer with pablo pintor um, that sounds great i almost never drink anymore but if i do mm-hmm. it's for occasions and if i do for an occasion it's usually we're going for it but i want to have a beer with pablo sitting somewhere warm uh that's the plan uh 
Yeah, shout out to the the Sunflower Samurai's Twitter account too. They've been they've been like hardcore posting all the the travel updates and like here's stuff to do and here's things to see in in Barcelona and that's that's been pretty awesome. I've been I've been following their their Twitter account pretty closely for that. No, they've been very helpful. Um, next question from William Tables and Legs asking, "How are you feeling heading into Worlds? How has testing been going? I hear your locals are stacked." Is that is that the William Table and Legs of of uh yeah, uh yeah, I I love Will. He's uh he he has his own uh his own little uh UPF channel and they do they do some pretty great work and I show up on there's pretty regular. Uh and yeah, our locals is cracked. We've got some some wild competition locals. Um but uh I don't know. I'm I'm actually pretty excited about this world. This is going to be uh you know, everybody's kind of got eyes on Dromine, so this is a good opportunity to really show what this hero can do, um, which is always going to be fun. But at the same time, uh, competition's going to be tougher than ever. I think every major event I have been to has been harder than the last, and I don't think this world is going to be any exception. You know, so I'm definitely not going in this, you know, assuming I'm going to roll over anybody. This is this is going to be tough. This is going to be fierce. And there's a lot of people who are putting in a lot of time in this. Um, and like we kind of mentioned earlier, the, the the meta right now is just wide open. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of chance for people that we don't know their names yet to really shine in this meta, too. And so that's going to be really cool. Um, and we're not talking about Charmer. We're talking about actual people that we don't know their names of. Which one's Charmer? Uh, no, I'm kidding. I can't. I, I can't. I, can. I know. I I know who Tannen is. He's uh... You know. You know. <laughs> nah, Charmer's great. But uh, yeah, no. I think I think this world is exciting. Um, this will actually be the first time I have ever traveled overseas in my life. I've never left the United States ever. Loser. Uh, I. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not in a, I'm not in a country that's a loft apartment over a great party. You know you what? Know? That's you that's to like to, that's like to saying that's like saying the only movie I've ever seen is Twilight. <laughs> seen Twilight two? Well, right, sure, no problem, whatever. <laughs> it's all good. That's uh, that's what that sounds like. Uh, one, no, I, have, I, have, I literally I literally uh, left PT Baltimore. Went home and applied for my passport like that week. Beauty. Um, so I am the fact that I not only get to travel overseas for the first time in my life, but get to do it playing this card game that I love is so unreal to me. And it's it's going to be amazing. I'm super excited for it. So the most important question uh, will be our last from Captive Goat asking, can you ask her why goats are so much better than <laughs> cheetahs and dragons combined? I, um, yeah, look, I wasn't going to add this one to the question you requested that this be put in here but uh by all means please explain to us why this is a thing see like she's gonna make me say goats suck because i don't think goats suck goats are adorable and i love goats but cheetahs are amazing and dragons are dragons so like i don't know how we compete with dragons um i i do uh she's 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 kind of she's she's a she's a good friend of mine captive goat is is fantastic um but uh, I I have a deep love for for zoos and and zoo animals. Cheetahs are one of my favorites. Uh, cheetahs, cheetahs, wolves, and hyenas are like my top three, and they're fantastic. Um, but goats are kind of goats are goats are acceptable. They're good dragon food. I'm gonna I'm going with uh, rhinos. Peregrine Dude, rhinos are cool. Rhinos are awesome. 
Uh, have you like been like, do you, I don't know if you go to zoos a lot. Rhinos are one of those animals that you're like, that looks like it's a big animal. And then you're like next to one. You're like, Oh, that's a big animal. Yeah. It's, they're just tanks. They're at, they're, they're like huge. They're, they're just gigantic armored tanks. They're, it's mm -hmm. unreal. So them, peregrine falcons and, uh, uh, cuttlefish, like those cephalopods that can like, mm -hmm. change their color and do all this cut. Like they're crazy. Like they're cuttlefish are cool. Yeah, like octopi and stuff like that. They're they're where it's at. Um, we, we need to have more like official flesh and blood post event zoo trips. This is something that I was actually talking with some of the Wolfpack guys about. Like, I I back when I was doing uh, alters at, like for Star City very regularly, I made it a habit of every time I was in a new city, I would always go to the zoo. And I've not been doing that as often. I did I did after Dallas. Dallas was the first time I've been back to a zoo in in like about a year. Um, but, uh, doesn't it make I, you sad though? Like I see these animals and yeah, like for the most part, they're being well taken care of, but they just look so sad. Some of them, and it just breaks my heart. Like I'm there just staring at the polar bear in the middle of July, hating its life because it's a polar bear and it's like a hundred degrees outside. And it's just looking at me like, dude, and I'm like, dude, I know. I had to pay to come here to have you look at me and say, dude, like, I trust me, I know. Uh, I will say this. Um, you know, when when you're picking a zoo to to, to go check out, um, check like do do a little bit a little bit of research on these zoos. Um, the the AZA, the the Association for Zoos and Aquariums, has a lot of very strict like this is things that you can do with an animal uh, an animal enclosure. This is things you can't. Um, and they actually do care quite a bit about, you know, making sure these animals are happy and healthy and enriched. And as long as you're in a zoo that is that has animals that are well taken care of, you know, uh, uh, these animals tend to be very happy. Um, you know, I I think there's there's a big thing to be said to be taken care of as an animal. Like these animals in cap in captivity have two to three times the lifespan of an animal in the wild just because they're taken care of they have access to medical treatments that they're just you know a wild animal doesn't have they don't have you know internet the constant fear yeah they they yeah they don't they don't even have wi-fi in in you know the savannah in africa it's <laughs> i i don't know what they do um, yeah, that's why the cheetahs but, are so fast they got to go spread the word <laughs> they, just yeah. don't have, they don't have they don't have text messaging um, yeah but like just being able to like have a have a life where you're just like yeah i'm just chill there's nothing actively trying to kill me on a daily basis does a lot for an animal's you know health and enjoyment um and and quality of life so you know yeah the the polar bear in like 90 degree heat is probably not super happy but i guarantee you that that like those polar bears will probably have a big pool of water that is freezing cold that they are more than happy to just sort of chill out in oh yeah no um, they they had water and stuff like they don't like i, I get yeah. it it's just again but I also yeah. live under the guise that I'm like, oh, if I free this polar bear, it's going to befriend me and I can ride it to like the PQ. Like that's kind of. <laughs> yeah. I have I have always said I'm like, you know, every time I go to zoo, I'm like, man, I want to pet all of these animals. And I'm like, this is how I'm going to die. Yeah, for sure. I am just, just accepted the fact that I am going to die by one point in my life encountering a wild animal that I am convinced wants to be my friend. <laughs> Basically, dude, that's that that's how that's what like half of the premises of these like true crime podcasts are about it's just somebody attracting somebody else and then ends up killing them like that's usually yeah. how it goes but uh you're you're not just running solo anymore there's a there's a whole other 
animal species that you are now uh, essentially creating an alliance with. Uh, that's true. Um, I saw it on your mug, so you you awoo. <laughs> oh my! Did you just uh, ooh? Like th- I just this is this is no. The, I the, heard it as ooh and no. Uh, this is not an this is not an ooh. Uh, this that's is a husky, awoo. right? So what? No, it's a wolf. Is it? It's yeah, it's like a little. Why thing. does it look like it's coming straight out of the grotto at the Playboy Mansion? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of love it though. Yeah. Well, uh, so tell us about that real quick. Uh, so yeah, there's, uh, uh, I, I guess I can make the official announcement. Um, I will be joining the, the wolf pack. Uh, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be me and, uh, my, my, my good friend Merritt Kemp is also going to be joining with me. Uh, so, uh, the, the wolf pack will, will, uh, have a couple of new members and I'm, I'm super excited for this. The, the wolf pack have always been just really good friends of mine. You know, you know, we, We've traveled to all these events, and and every event, I'm just hanging out with these guys. And uh, you know, if I was I was telling some of the guys yesterday, actually, that if you had asked me a year ago, hey, do you want to be on the Wolfpack? It would have been like, oh, this would be such a great opportunity for for testing and to play with these these professional players and and to increase my skill theme, which is still very much true. But uh, now it's just, hey, these are a bunch of my friends, and I just get I get an opportunity to just spend more time testing and playing with people that i really like and i really love and i really respect and i think more than anything that just excites the hell out of me and so i think that's going to be really cool all right so i'm going to ask you this because uh i think uh can can you name in under 20 seconds all the members of the wolf pack no yeah okay uh i that's (laughs) an honest response like if they, I think if they achieve a thousand members, they ascend to living legend status as well. They're a big team now. I'm, I'm not. That's not a detriment in any way. Again, pull, pull your resources, your wisdom, your insight, your knowledge for sure. It's for the betterment of everyone involved. Uh, it's just, it just seems like this is one hell of a, uh, an entity now. Yeah, I, I do think they have had a pretty tight uh, lid on on recruiting for a little while now. Um, so I, I think, I think it's a very big honor to to be invited because of this because like they they are they're getting big and i think they've kind of got to a point where they're like all right we don't really want new members anymore but for them to still you know come to both myself and merrick and say hey you know we don't really want new members but we really want you to i think it's really cool and that that means a lot to me i am perfectly ready to decline somebody's invite uh i'm ready just ship them over Flake's ready to decline your invite to your, to your team. Uh, I will I will pass the message along. Yeah, until they do, and then I'm like, psych, I'm in, sucker. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, we do have a little bit more that we want to squeeze out of Mara Faris here in terms of Dromai tips. That'll be a Patreon Tier 3 exclusive. If you want to support the channel, you can go to patreon.com slash instantspeed. For as little as woo dollars a month, uh, you can go ahead and support the channel. But for you Tier 3 legends, we've got Mara Ferris giving you tips on how to play and how to beat Dromai. So, well, there you go. Those are pretty good tips. Yeah, I think it was, it was sort of two, two on each side, but two I think those are two very... Bounce. two two good ones two, two good two ones very on each good, side. pretty 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 in-depth uh tips that's, on each side that's all we need is just just two uh mm-hmm. and we'll get there but uh, thank you so much 
for sharing those. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show. I know that it's uh, it's always a joy to have you here. As I lost my yeah, person, I'm trying to bring my notes up, but there we go. We're back. But yeah, yeah. No, thanks for having me. I uh, I appreciate this. This has been this has been fun. I always uh, it's always a treat. Well, I appreciate you as well. So, where can people get more Mara Ferris related content? Should they want to hear you even more? Uh, so, I am typically pretty active on on Twitter, just uh, at Blackwing Studio on Twitter. Um, I do like we, we kind of mentioned. I do uh, custom art and and altars. Uh, I have an Etsy store that is also Blackwing Studio on Etsy, where I sell custom tokens and and original arts and things like that um so you can always check out my shop there um otherwise uh the other big one is i have a patreon um my uh my patreon is also just blackwing studio on patreon um i have a a dromai primer there if you want to learn a lot more about dromai than you ever thought you needed to know uh the primer is now 46 pages long 47 pages at this point uh, it's gotten wildly out of control, um, but there's a, a lot of knowledge in, in that uh, and a lot of the things that I've really gone deep dive on on some of the Stromai stuff. Um, so that's a really good resource. Plus, we have a uh, we have a Patreon Discord community now that has been a fantastic community. I'm super like super shout out to my my Patreon Discord. Uh, all all the the people there are are wonderful. We have a good community, and you know we have a a no dumb questions rule in the patron discord where we can really have a lot of open and and frank discussions about you know dromai as well as like other other topics and decks and things like that and uh so so yeah if uh if you're looking for more dromai or just to hang out with a bunch of cool people um the patron discord is a, a great place to be beauty all right, friends, that does it for another episode of Instant Speed Podcast. I want to thank our sponsors at Kayfabe Cards. Go to kayfabecards.com. Get your singles. Get your sealed product. Go to kayfabecards.com. Be who you want to be at Kayfabe Cards. Also, to Rivalry Toronto. Rivalry is Ontario's premier esports sportsbook betting company that offers fully regulated wagering in esports, traditional sports, and casino founded in downtown Toronto in 2016. Rivalry offers the best odds on your favorite titles such as uh, Counter-Strike 2, League of Legends, Dota 2, Valorant, and more. They also recently launched its exclusive feature, Same Game Esports Combos, the perfect way to level up your esports wagers. So check them out as well. Uh, more details are in the comments and the uh, details, the show notes, or whatever the hell you want to call it on this video. And Mara, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Flake. This no worries. And we'll see everybody in Barcelona, friends. Don't forget, you're not losing if you're learning. Catch you next time on ISB. Bye-bye. Well, I work, I work.